Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the World Series of Politics podcast, where two heavy hitters in the political, legislative, and regulatory space take swings at the curveballs thrown at the gaming sector by legislators and regulators around the world for IGB. We've got Brendan Bussman and Grant Iden stepping up to the plate to discuss the hot topics in this space from across the world. Let's play ball on another episode of the World Series of Politics. Welcome back to the World Series of Politics podcast. I'm your host, Brant Iden, along with my fellow Cape Crusader, Brendan Bussman. And what an exciting 20th anniversary episode we have for you. Uh, this is amazing. I can't believe it's number 20, Brendan. It, it, is, is, it is the big 2-0. It Finally. is the big 2-0. It, it I was the, the big, big 4-0 this year. Now it's the big 2-0. I don't know if it's an anniversary, though, as much as it is just a big 2-0. Okay, fair I, enough. I, I, I don't know about that. I mean, if we're doing this in 20 years and we're continuing it on, then, you know, okay, we and we can do this for 20 years. Well, I Isn't don't know if we can keep listeners' attention for that long. 20 years alone. <laughs> well, it's an exciting episode. We're going to be talking all about Florida, and we've got uh, a number of special guests. We've got IGB's very own Robin Harrison Milan, the boy wonder himself, will be on the ep- uh, will will be upcoming on the episode. Uh, we've got law professor Bob Jarvis talking about Florida, and of course we've got Jeff Ifra. So we're going to jump right in. It, it's going to be a fabulous double decker episode. I think it's appropriate that we have twenty and we have a, you know two major shows all in one. So enjoy uh, this episode. And, uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll get after it here. Let's get going. So we have our 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 uh, what, what do we call you? We kind of draft you in, Robin. I mean, we got to get you a title like I mean, because now you've been on the show so many times. We have the Cape Crusaders, but I feel like we need you know, you're our third component now and you've been on the show so many times. We feel like I got to give you a nickname of some kind. I mean, with a name like Robin, I, I don't I don't want to suggest the boy wonder because I'm worried that that's going to stick. Um, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> See, now that's good. That's good right out of the shoot. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. What have I done? <laughs> well, I've, I'm going to work on that. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, we, we've got a great guest today and we want to jump right in and talk about Florida. But but first, Robin, obviously, you're just coming off IGB Live. It looked like a great event. I'm sorry I couldn't join you in Amsterdam. Give us a quick rundown on the event. How'd it go? Honestly, it was the biggest we've ever done. Uh, you couldn't walk in a straight line. I mean, after a certain point of the evening and not many people could walk in a straight line. But honestly, the show floor was packed, the conference area. We actually moved that off the show floor, so it was much quieter, much nicer, but still full of people. We had some great speakers. We had uh, Rene Janssen from the Dutch Regulators on stage with him. I was on stage with a uh, Mikolaj Zimmerman from Intain CEE, who's playing a really kind of important role in their Eastern European expansion plans. And honestly, it was the biggest and best one yet. I mean, next year we're, you know, we're going to a new part of the venue. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's only going to get better from here, hopefully. Oh, well, that's fantastic. Like I say, I was following you guys on social media. It looked awesome. I'm sorry I couldn't make it this year, but sounds like next year is going to be even bigger and better. So I look forward to joining next year. So, well, hey, let's jump into the show. We've got an exciting guest on. Florida has been a hot topic. I've been talking about Florida as I go across the country. I know that uh, there's a lot of questions, things to come. What's it look like? Where do we go from here? We've got with us today, Bob Jarvis, professor of law at Nova Southeast University in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Of course, uh, I spent a lot of time down there in South 
Florida myself. I'm on the other side. I'm in Sarasota in the winter. But uh, great to have you on, Bob. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, we want to jump right in and start talking a little bit about the, the, you know, the court case, the ruling. But why don't you just sort of frame it for us a little bit? I mean, what, what did you know, when you took a look at this case, what were some of the big high level, big ticket items, big things that you saw? I mean, and then we'll jump right into whether or not we think you agree with it. But tell us a little bit. Give us a background and tell us where you think we go from here. So when this case was first uh, being kicked around as an idea back in 2021, I said that it was dead on arrival, that there was no way that uh, the courts were going to block the new compact between Florida um, and the Seminoles. And much to my surprise, uh, Wes Flagler, the plaintiff, happened to get a judge, Judge Friedrich in the D.C. uh, District Court, um, who uh, stopped the compact. And I was really stunned by that. And I uh, said at the time that I thought she was wrong. I thought her opinion made absolutely no sense and that the D.C. Circuit on Appeal would have an easy time and would shish kebab her. And that's exactly what they did. The only real surprise was that it was a three nothing decision by the D.C. Circuit. After the oral arguments back in December, I thought it might go 2-1. But I guess uh, in the end, all of the judges realized that her opinion uh, really was nonsensical, illogical. You know, I just don't know how to describe it. Um, And so now we are where we should have been two years ago. I don't see an appeal being taken from the decision. And so I'm assuming that subject to a state lawsuit we have to talk about um, that could be coming down the pike, that the um, Seminoles will be ready to relaunch uh, sports betting here in Florida on August 22nd. Wow, so it's all coming up hey, quite quickly. But I mean, let's say dig in a bit to the ruling because it was you know, in some ways, it kind of cleared the way for the for the you know sports betting to come back in, and that hub and spoke model to be a you know kind of a well, I suppose kind of brought back in. But in certain areas, it kind of felt like it left you know the door ajar for more kind of debate and more kind of potential a you know kind of a you know more potential disruption. Is that fair to say? Well, disruption in the sense that this is now going to really uh, push sports betting into overdrive. You know, it's only been five years since the U.S. Supreme Court in the Murphy case struck down the federal law, uh, PASPER, that had prevented sports betting uh, in the country, except for Nevada, which had been grandfathered in. Um, But as I like to say, you ain't seen nothing yet because this decision now really um, allows sports betting uh, to take off. Uh, with this decision, the only two major states that don't have sports betting are Texas and California. California is going to get sports betting. Uh, they almost got it last year. Of course, there was a lot of infighting among the hundreds of tribes that are in California. They need to get things, you know, they have to figure out what direction uh, they want the boat to go in. Um, but California is going to get sports betting. So the only big state that won't have sports betting in the near future is going to be Texas because they have all kinds of constitutional issues. And they also have um, a crazy lieutenant governor who is anti-gambling. Uh, but uh, no, I, I think this decision um, you know, really clears the way and, and is really going to be the launch pad uh, for expanded sports gambling in the future. 
So let's talk about the decision just, just for a minute, Bob. So, and correct me if I'm wrong here. So it's my understanding that basically what the circuit court did is they kind of broke this up into two pieces and they said, look, we agree with – uh, basically that, that the, the state the, oh, that can move forward with the compact and that it was okay for the Bureau of Indian Affairs to not basically make a decision on ruling on the compact and letting that basically lapse into law. But at the same time, they also said that any further decision as it relates to the compact has to go back to the state court. And this could be subject to further state court ruling, obviously because of Amendment 3, which says it of 2018, which says that, you know, most expansion gaming has to, actually all expansion gaming has to go to the voters in the state of Florida. Isn't that sort of what the court basically said here? And I know I'm, I'm simplifying it to some extent, but. Yeah, no. And that was that state lawsuit that I was referring to. The federal court, Judge Wilkins writing for the D.C. Circuit said, we don't see a federal problem here. So go away <laughs> is basically sure. what he said. Sure. Um, But he did say, in his opinion, that there was a potential state law issue. And that state law issue, as you just indicated, is that Amendment 3 um, that was passed in 2018 that added an amendment to the Florida Constitution. And he said, not going to deal with it because we're a federal court. That's a state law issue. If somebody wants to bring a new lawsuit on that state law issue, they can do so in Florida. Now, Having said that, um, I fully expect that that lawsuit will be filed. I don't know that it will be filed by West Flagler. I think in a lot of ways, West Flagler has uh, done all that it's going to do. But there is a group here in Florida called No Casinos, Inc. I could see them filing the lawsuit. I could see somebody else filing the lawsuit. And the lawsuit, in a nutshell, is going to say that because of Amendment 3, Now you have to put any expansion of gambling on a statewide ballot and you have to get 60 percent of the voters to vote for it. And since this is an expansion of gambling here in Florida, um, you have to the the Seminoles cannot uh, have sports betting until there is such a vote. If there was to be such a vote, there is no question that the vote would fail. 60% of the voters not going to vote for it uh, because in North Florida, they are very opposed to any sort of gambling or gambling expansion because North Florida is really South Georgia. So for religious moral reasons, they're against it. And Central Florida always kind of sort of splits the vote, although tends to be anti-gambling because they're trying to protect Disney and they're trying to protect their convention business, their theme park business. South Florida will heavily, heavily vote, you know, for it, but that's not going to be enough to get to 60%. Um, Now, that lawsuit will fail. Um, And so we're never going to get to the point where we're going to have to have a statewide vote. It's going to fail for two reasons. First of all, when you carefully read the amendment, uh, it does not talk about all gambling. It talks about casino gambling. And it is very specific in paragraph B. I know I'm getting into the weeds, but in paragraph no, B. Okay, we appreciate it. Yeah, yeah we love this. <laughs> uh, in paragraph B, it talks about casino gambling and it defines casino gambling as craps, roulette, you know, the traditional games played in casino. Sports betting has never been a traditional casino game with the possible exception of Nevada, because no one could have sports betting until 2018 because of that federal statute, PASPER. So first of all, on 
just a simple reading of paragraph B, uh, the Amendment 3 has no application. But even if you said, well, what paragraph B was really doing was giving some examples, but those examples were not exclusive. And even though it says casino gambling, they really meant the phrase casino gambling to mean any sort of gambling. Even if you were to buy all of that, which would be a huge leap and would be legally incorrect, paragraph C says, and none of this applies to Indian gambling. And the reason paragraph C, which we call a carve out or an exception, the reason paragraph C is there is because you have to go back and remember who wrote Amendment 3. The Seminoles wrote Amendment 3. And why did they write Amendment 3? Why did they fund it? Why did they get it passed? It was to keep out uh, all of uh, the Las Vegas casinos from coming into Florida, something that the Seminoles did not want to deal with. They didn't want to have that kind of competition. So in two different but very important ways, Amendment 3 has no relevance to this discussion. It is a red herring that groups like no casinos want you to believe and again, uh, if such a lawsuit is filed, they may luck out and get a judge like Judge Friedrich was in the federal lawsuit who doesn't understand what's going on. And so it may have to get cleared up as it was on the federal side uh, when there is, you know, when an appellate court finally gets to look at this thing. So could there be a delay? Yes, there could be a delay. Could it be as long as the previous delay? 21 to 23, so two years. Yes, it could be. But will it ultimately be an impediment? Not a chance. Um, and so at some point, if not next month, uh, at some point, the Seminoles are going to have sports betting. And that will then, of course, lead to further negotiations between the Seminoles and the state of Florida to expand uh, mobile betting from just sports to all, you know, craps and roulette and, I mean, all of those kind of games. Uh, because sports betting is, of course, just the camel's nose going into the tent. Eventually, we're going to have mobile sports betting pretty much everywhere uh, in the country, but we're also going to have regular mobile betting everywhere in the country, with, of course, certain exceptions, Hawaii, Utah. I mean, they're never going to have gambling because they have religious moral reasons against it. But leaving out those kinds of states. And, you know, the more that states get sports betting and iGaming, the more that other states say, ooh, we've got to get sports betting and iGaming. And we know this because if you look at the history of the lottery, New Hampshire got the lottery first in 1964. And then little by little, other states. And today we have 45 states that have lotteries. So, you know, one, it, it, it takes somebody to break the dam. But once the dam is broken, everybody else piles in. I know that was a Bad mix of metaphors. We got one. We got one. Here, <laughs> yeah. I want Robin to jump in here because I know he's got another question, but I got one quick follow up to what you said. So let's assume that some entity brings forth suit in the state of Florida. Do you think at any point in time a judge says, well, this is being litigated. The Seminoles are stayed from taking any bets until such time as we work this out. Or do you think the Seminoles will just be able to take bets, you know, after, uh, you know, coming into football season as many of the media has reported? Yeah, I mean, I would hope there's no way to answer that question. We, ha we have to know the judge. We have to know their philosophy. Um, certainly the Seminoles will, I'm sure, immediately ask 
to be allowed while the litigation is going on. And whether, you know, whether you're pro-Seminoles or anti-Seminole, or, you know, wherever you stand in any of these things, um, you have to feel bad for the Seminoles because every day that you can't take bets is a day that's gone and you can never get that back. And here in South Florida, you know, we just went through the NHL finals with the Florida Panthers being in the finals. We just went through the NBA finals with the Miami Heat being in the finals. There would have been huge betting um, on those two teams and you can never get those bets back. So hopefully a judge would say, that the Seminoles can uh, can have sports betting while the lawsuit is going on um, because you really have to feel for them that they gave up two years of taking bets that now we know that they didn't and shouldn't have been forced to give up. And thank you very much, Bob Jarvis. It was great to have you on. It's great to hear what you have to say about a this case. And now it is the time to pass the baton. So I'm delighted to welcome back Brendan Busman. Robin, thank you uh, for your help on that segment of our 20th uh, episode. Uh, I'm going to take the uh, baton uh, or baton or whatever else uh, we would say here as we bastardize the English language here in America. Uh, over everything, and we're going to kick in here with our good friend, uh, Jeff Ifra, uh, who's going to offer a little bit different perspective uh, on how this, uh, how this case may roll out here in the coming weeks. Back when I was a wee young lad in the legislature, I go back that far with this gentleman, Jeff Ifra, uh, principal at Ifra Law. Jeff, how are you? Good. How are you? Thank you for that introduction. Wow. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's so good to see you. And it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. So, you know, let's not hesitate. Let's jump right in. Give us the give, give us the lay of the land in Florida. You know, give us your sort of high level view. What happened in the case? Where are we at today? And then we'll jump into some questions and where we go from here. Yeah, the governor negotiated a compact with the Seminole tribe, which, um, you know, it's important to note the strongest tribe in Florida, been around forever and has a very profitable land based casino business like no other in Florida, negotiated a compact which um, essentially authorized sports betting. And um, basically, it was going to make the Seminoles the exclusive, essentially licensor, like a regulator almost, of, uh, of further sub-licensing to other uh, potential interested sports betting organizations. And before any of it really got off the ground, it got off the ground briefly. And before it ever really took off, um, certainly before anyone else participated other than the Seminoles and Hard Rock, which is now called Hard Rock Bet, I understand. Before that took off, there was a, a couple lawsuits, one in Florida, uh, one in D.C., one that challenged in D.C. the authority of the Secretary of Interior to approve or not approve this compact. That lawsuit was successful, it was bought, brought by a company called West Flagler, a Florida-based um, company with casino interests, and the district court here in D.C., ruled that the compact violated IGRA for a number of reasons. That was then appealed. Um, and the Court of Appeals, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, essentially reversed all findings of the district court, essentially now returning the matter back to allow uh, Hard Rock to go forward as originally planned under the original scheme outlined in the compact. And that's where we are. There's an appeal date coming at, you know, towards the end of August. I'm not sure that it will be appealed further. I'm not sure that you can successfully appeal this type of case to the Supreme Court. Um, there could be other litigation following, but I think we're going to talk about that now. 
Well, and and Jeff, I think that's a great lead in because, you know, I, I, there's sort of two routes I, I, I'd like to take here because I think it was first and foremost a great overview of sort of where we stand today is, you know, let, let's go down the path of, and I think it's August 21st, if I remember right, is when the next sort of line in the in the proverbial sand is of when when the clock runs out on on the current side of this but you know where where does this go from a from a federal standpoint can this go to the the supreme court and what's the pathway to do that or is there another challenge or does this go fall back to the states and and what may or may not happen in florida state court so it can go to the supreme court but typically the supreme court only takes up cases when there is some sort of dispute between different circuit courts uh, on the issue at hand. Um, Because this has never happened before, I don't really think that there's another relevant case uh, to say stands in contrast to the D.C. Circuit case. And as a result, I don't think that the Supreme Court would take up this case. It's a very narrow issue. It's kind of a nerdy issue. Not that they haven't taken up nerdy issues before. Certainly they have. But I don't think this uh, question of somewhat first impression is going to make its way immediately to the Supreme Court. Maybe in you know, 20 years or so, sort of like the first time someone challenged PASPA and the court said uh, no, multiple invitations to reverse that. And they said no. And then finally they did. And here we are. Um, so I do think that the only route to truly challenge this is a state court route. There are some challenges with that as well. That is essentially what the D.C. Circuit Court invited Wes Flagler to do was to go back to Florida and challenge uh, what has been outlined in the compact under state law. Yeah, so that that's interesting. Well, you know, we're nerds here. We're policy wonks on the show, so we we're, we'll get into it a little bit. So, and let me ask you a question as it relates to state court, Jeff. So, can it just be West Flagler, or it's also my understanding that another group could potentially bring bring forth litigation as well? Because I think that there was some chatter about a anti casino group or something that had that had been talking about this in Florida. Is that a possibility still? Sure. I mean, look, anyone who brings the case is going to have to deal with the typical standing where basically the court asks, hey, what's, you know, why is this relevant and material to you, plaintiff? Explain that. And they may not be able to explain that. They may not have a standing challenge, uh, a proper standing um, in the eyes of the court that could end up with the case getting thrown out. It could also be that they don't add what are called necessary parties. Um, Is the tribe a necessary party? And if they are, Uh, Can a state court hear a challenge where a party to the case is a tribe? The answer to that is no, they can't. You have to go to tribal court for that. So can you bring a state court case that has the tribe that doesn't get kicked out or a state court case that doesn't have the tribe um, and survive uh, what they call a necessary party challenge? Those are some challenges, among others, um, about why this case may not um, see the light of day in state court, or if it does, it, it may not last very long. So, so Jeff, let's let's put the 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 court side of this to the side. Let's say nothing happens, and we get to the end of August here. Um, and obviously, I I know obviously this is all on on hard rock and and hard rock bets and what may or may not happen. But two things to this: if nothing happens on the court side, one, how quickly do the Seminoles say let's go? And then what happens with those you know deals they had in place? clear back in, you know, before these challenges started in that November before everything shut down? Well, listen, I mean, those are kind of practical, somewhat political questions um, for you two to debate and bring your insight on. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, if, if you saw some... That was a good attorney, Brendan, by the way. Yeah. That was a very... Yeah, that, 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 that was a good, good yeah. That was, that was a, a good stiff arm. I mean, <laughs> good one. 
I mean, Fran, that's a Heisman <laughs> pose by you, Jeff. I, I, Thank you. Early odds are, are going for you uh, in the 23 Heisman race. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so, you know, if something fails uh, because of a lawsuit, do you just quickly go and relaunch again and ignore that? Um, uh, maybe. I mean, I don't think that anyone at Hard Rock, probably, I don't know, uh, wants to launch and then quickly have to shut down again. So I assume they want some security. But listen, uh, that August uh, deadline comes and goes. And what happens next is the NFL season starts. So let's not forget about that, because the NFL season is key uh, to generating revenue for Sportsbook. And um, they don't want to go very long, I imagine, into the NFL season with uncertainty. So my guess would be I wouldn't bet on this, but my guess would be that Hard Rock would launch uh, pre-NFL season, whether it's before or after August 21st. I don't think they care about that. There's not going to be a stay in place. So, you know, for listeners, even if there is an appeal, that doesn't mean that that stays the D.C. Circuit decision and prohibits Hard Rock from marching forward. I think Hard Rock can march forward today if they want to. They may wait that out, but they may be waiting that out for just technical reasons because they, you know, have to launch their new product. They've been announcing new things, probably takes some time to put together. No sports book really wants to launch it, you know, in the middle of baseball. They all wait for the NFL season because that's the time to really, you know, kind of uh, suss out all your uh, your errors and your and your delays and and get a product out there that's ready in time for the marquee event of the Super Bowl. So I would expect that they go ahead and launch and I would expect those deals that you referenced are put back on the table. I imagine that they already are hard at work uh, at uh, finalizing those deals now. Well, and I, and I think that, you know, is the, is the uh, I'll say the million dollar question or billion dollar, depending on how big the market could be. And I, I say that somewhat facetiously, but you know, I think that's that's one of the things is as you so eloquently talk that that Brant and I can debate some of this over the course of time. Um, but but let's look back to 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 the court challenge off of this. You know, one of the things that people have articulated is and, and obviously, you know, a, a compact is is the deal between the Seminoles and and uh, and the state at this point. But, you know, there's this little uh, law that passed in in 2018 um, that was referred to as Amendment 3 on the expansion of gaming. Does that apply in this case? Because obviously the compact allowed, you know, some things beyond the sports betting element off of this. Do you see that as a potential uh, hiccup or, or something that may come into play here? Well, I certainly think that to the extent someone is motivated to bring a state court challenge, they're going to want to raise that issue. I think there are responses. I mean, the amendment to the Constitution that was passed puts uh, all further sort of iGaming and, you know, regulation in the hands of the citizens of Florida to vote on is essentially what I understand that amendment to mean. But the amendment also says that nothing in that amendment, Amendment 3 that you referenced, is meant to upset anything relating IGRA and the compact between the Seminoles and and the state of Florida. So, um, you know, it's not necessarily, uh, you know, some sort of panacea for uh, people trying to upset, um, you know, this D.C. Circuit case. Um, I do think that a state court could hear an argument that um, what the governor and the Seminoles did is sidestep essentially the voters and the citizens of Florida by essentially allowing this compact to go and essentially authorize um, statewide mobile gaming. Um, however, whether it's that amendment or anything else, you still have the state court problems of getting the, uh, of trying to sue the tribe in a state court 
And I do think that's probably why Wes Flagler started their lawsuit in federal court in Florida and then ultimately moved into D.C. court when that case was dismissed. I think that, you know, anyone looking at a case involving a sovereign uh, knows that they can't be in state court. And so that's going to continue to be a challenge, whether they make that challenge as part of an amendment, you know, three case or any other case, it's going to be a challenge. And I, it's not, it's not so black and white that amendment three, because it has language in there that essentially provides some sort of failsafe for uh, IGRA challenges. Um, and, you know, that's essentially what this is. Does this compact essentially authorize um, a tribe through IGRA to offer statewide gaming in violation of Florida state law. And isn't there, I'd have to go back and look at it, but isn't there something in Amendment 3 that specifically gives a carve out to the tribes as well? Isn't there something in there that says that this 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 doesn't apply to a compact deal or something like that? Am I getting that yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, what Amendment 3 cross-references other amendments, um, Amendment 10 and 19 or 20, I think, and, and those amendments discuss IGRA. So yes, you are getting that right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I think that that would be interesting. And then I think, you, you know, one of the things we, we've discussed, Brendan, is that this compact does much more than just gaming. Right. I, I mean, this is a this is a massive update for the tribe, something that hadn't been touched in. I, 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 forgive me. I don't know. 12, 15 plus years, I believe, if I recall. And so we have a situation here where, you know, if a, if a judge gets into that, it's sort of picking out different pieces of that compact that they would rule. Well, this works. This doesn't. And then you know, how does that impact the tribal operations? Right. Right. No, I think you're absolutely right on that, Brant. And and obviously, I'd love to hear Jeff's comments as well. But but you know, the the other thing I'd add to that is as part of that is what implications does this have outside of Florida potentially also uh, as part of that? Because I think you know uh, a lot of tribes from you know California to Maine were looking at this, going, "What happens and how does this affect our future compact?" So, Jeff, I don't know what what commentary you might have on that. Both of those points. Yeah, I mean, certainly, Brant, this is a very broad compact with a lot of uh, nooks and crannies in it. Um, the um, the the bigger question, though, that everyone is definitely thinking about, the billion-dollar question, I think, um, that a lot of the big operators um, outside of Florida would be thinking about is, what does this mean for other states, you know, uh, and, and Indian country generally, especially the big prize, California? Texas has tribes, but I don't think anyone thinks that the governor's going to enter into a compact with uh, these very small tribes and offer statewide gambling, um, which would, you know, certainly run uh, contrary to what all the big sports leagues have already done, which has entered into contracts with the operators um, waiting for the legislature in Texas to approve. And I think that's the pathway that Texas is going to take, which is probably, you know, the second biggest market out there, California, which would be the first biggest market. Um, and just to put it into perspective, so California, Texas, and Florida, you know, you're talking about 25 to 30% uh, of the country when it comes to just population. Uh, when it look, when you look at the biggest gambling states, I think they're also probably California, Texas, and Florida, not coincidentally, larger populations. But also, you know, you have, if you look at percentages of revenue, uh, at least that the offshore books are doing, those are their largest three markets. Um, and so we haven't really seen... <laughs> The what the, the how big sports betting can get in the U.S. We've seen states like Illinois, New York, Pennsylvania come on, and and they're certainly big. Ontario is certainly a big population that can probably you know exceed some of our largest popul some of our largest regulated states right now. But California is a whole other story. And so, does this have an impact on California? I would say no. To get to that question, I would say no. And the reason why is because the D.C. Circuit, first of all, 
Obviously, it's a, it's, it's, it's a circuit court that doesn't apply in California. California has its own circuit court of appeals, the Ninth Circuit. Um, all the D.C. Circuit said is that um, the secretary has the authority to approve this particular compact. The D.C. Circuit was very specific, and even the Secretary of Interior's lawyers were very specific, saying that uh, they agree with West Flagler that an IGRA compact cannot authorize um, off-reservation um, sports gambling. And um, that is the principle um, that was that was really key to, to West, Flagler's, uh, West Flagler's case. I think they didn't really think that the court was going to parse it out the way they did. They basically said, hey, what the D.C. Circuit said is, hey, I hear you. Both you and the secretary are saying that the governor cannot authorize uh, an Indian tribe to offer off-reservation gambling in violation of state law. I get it. I, we, we may even agree with that. But this is a, the compact is a contract, and all we're looking at is contract law, and we're trying to just interpret this contract. And we don't actually see that the governor authorized um, sports gambling off-reservation. What we see is that there's some language in here. There's a discussion, as they call it in the court. There's a discussion um, about whether or not uh, sports gambling servers are located on the reservation and what happens when people outside the reservation try to access those servers. That's, that's a discussion, the court calls it, but doesn't authorize it. So, so I don't think this does anything, even if this was precedent setting, I don't think it does anything for California. And I don't think this is a, a, you know, a really big concern. And let's recall what I said at the top of this, the top of the hour here, no one has the power that the Seminoles have in any other state. Right. I mean, California does not have one tribe that runs the entire state. If they did, they probably would have authorized sports betting by now. We don't really have a state that's as big as Florida and we don't have a tribe that's as big as the Seminoles. That's almost an exclusive tribe in that particular state. We just don't have that context. This is a very unique context. It's a big tribe from a state that has a lot of revenue uh, from a tribe that's been running land based casinos all over the country and the world. Right. And they're basically doing a deal with their governor and a Republican state where the legislature is of the same party as the governor. There's so many unique factors here that go into this to this matter. I don't think we're going to see that repeated anywhere else. But uh, just for the basic reason, um, the D.C. Circuit did not approve, you know, off reservation sports betting in violation of state law. So um, other tribes could be thinking about doing something similar to this. But, you know, you got to you got to read the decision and see what it says. It does not it does not say that IGRA permits off reservation sports betting in violation of state's law. It does not say that. Well, there we have it. I like ending right there, I think. I mean, the uniqueness of Florida, the fact that it doesn't necessarily apply to, to Texas and California, it leaves it a lot. You know, that leaves more debate for us for future episodes, Brendan, as we get into it. So absolutely. Look, I, <laughs> uh, I just want to say, Jeff, thanks for coming on. Great to be here. We appreciate it so much. As always, uh, please join us. Continue to join us on another episode of the World Series of Politics podcast in the future. I'm your host, Brent Iden, along with Brendan Bussman, and this has been an IGB production. You've been listening to the World Series of Politics podcast with Brendan Bussman and Brent Iden. We'll be back on field very soon. This has been an IGB production. For the latest news, views, analysis, and data on the global gaming industry, head to iGamingBusiness.com.